Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Fantasy Sports Today. Back here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fantasy Sports Today, Dan Strapper, Mike Blewett. We're joined on the line by the host, co-host of College Football Today right here. On the network, that's Rich Sermoniello. He is eyeball deep in the combine. National Football League is underway this weekend. We've had the measurements. We've had some 40 times. Rich, how you doing this weekend? Dan, I'm doing fantastic. How about you? I'm good. Uh, we are excited to have you on next two hours. We're going to break down the combine, go through all the bells and whistles. I know Mike is pumped. He's been stretching. He's got his uh, deadlift Three coming up drill. soon. He's going to do the high jump. <laughs> He doesn't but have, like, wristbands we, on, does he? Are there wristbands or a what headband? You, what's wrong there? with wristbands, Rich? I'm picturing uh, something, <laughs> like, out of the, like, Jane Fonda is what I'm picturing. I'm going to tell you right now. Something right like out of a, a 1970s it's more video. like Cable Guy, like when uh, Jim Carrey was getting ready to get out on the court. Yeah. Cable Guy, you know? Yeah. You don't want to pull a hammy or anything. So, you know. so, so something not like Richard Simmons, we're talking yeah, like a little, a little bit less uh, '80s than that. Like it's more of okay. a '90s, you know, reasonable right. length shorts, you know, a headband maybe to keep. '90s would be unreasonably, <laughs> would be unreasonably long hair though. Would that be like a hairband type of? A well, situation? I, 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 here's what I'd say. I wish I had uh, the ability to grow flowing locks, <laughs> but it's more of a. You know, it's more trimmed down these days. So it's subdued. It's a I slight modification. But I'm happy to have you on, uh, uh, and thanks for joining us. Today. Yeah, it's exciting. No, it is. I mean, I know a lot of people will mock uh, the combine, and I get it. I mean, it could be a little bit uh, overinflated, overdone. It's not always the greatest uh, TV production in Indianapolis to be watching offensive linemen go through drills. is not exactly yeah. intoxicating, but. I like it because there are a handful of kids who otherwise are somewhat off the radar. I mean, not completely, but you look at someone like Miles Sanders, the running back from Penn State, uh, yesterday had a performance that made him money. I mean, he may have jumped up a full round based on how well he ran and how explosive he looked. And so there's a whole cadre of players over the next 48 hours that are going to have that same opportunity. Makes a, a ton of sense, Rich, and, and I, I think that's where I want to jump off, if that's okay, of sort of laying the, the land of what the Combine really is. I, I think over the years it's become somewhat of a, not a joke, but there are the jokes we just made at the top about what mm-hmm. we're going to do, the, the three-cone. What are you looking for? What are you keeping an eye on uh, overall? And how does the Combine, the week that is in Indianapolis, play out like what are all the things these players are doing or not doing that may influence draft stock and how teams see them yeah that, that's a great way to uh 
to characterize it. I, I, I think there are two ways to approach it, Dan. Uh, there's one we may never know about uh, and is as important as what we'll see in uh, 40 times or broad jumps or vertical leaps, which is the interview process and the medical interviews. So for teams, for the 32 NFL teams to get a better read on individuals that they don't know, what is the severity of that shoulder injury? Are they fully healed from that ACL? Is that Lisfranc injury in the foot something that's going to be an ongoing problem? So the interview... Uh, to, to learn about the character, the psychological makeup, and the medical interviews are extremely important. That's something we get limited information on. And then the other half of it is what we watch. Um, you know, I, just to throw a name out from yesterday, you know, Devin Singletary, the running back from Florida Atlantic, uh, quicker than he is fast. We sort of knew that, but looks like an explosive player, yet runs a 4.66. So you begin to think like, yeah, this was a tail end of the first round, early second round potential running back. Now his his stock drops, number one. And number two, it adds a tremendous amount of relevance to his pro day. You know, a lot of people forget the combine is one component, but there are pro days at every university in the country that will take place throughout the month of March. So now for someone like Devin Singletary, he has to get that 4.66 down into the 4.5 range. So it adds a lot more importance to those pro days. Uh, Rich, there were a few guys that ran yesterday. Uh, Well, first of all, Dexter Williams' haircut, it's got to eliminate him from being drafted. I don't know what that was. was That was an homage to Notre Dame, I guess, with that green. Yeah. It was yeah. like a sort of a mullet scenario, shaved head, yeah. but with a tuft of green hair in the back. He also false started twice on a on a forty, which is weird. But you threw out Miles Sanders and uh, Devin Singletary really jumped out at me when I was watching it. I thought somebody like Elijah Holyfield, who may not have been a top prospect, mm-hmm. ran so slowly, and he looked like a guy actually that. And this is what bothered me about it. There's a certain technique that these guys learn to cut down their 40 times. It yeah. looked like he hadn't worked on it at all. Just pops up right out of his stance, starts running. He's probably 15 hundredths of, of a second slower than he would have been had he just worked through it and gotten uh, a technique coach. But how about somebody like, and a guy that throughout the season was productive and people, certainly the fans in Kentucky will tell you all about him, Benny Snell. He runs a 4.66, but he happens to be a slightly bigger back. I just wonder if it impacts somebody like that at all. Yeah, it's funny. We talked a lot uh, last night with Gabe Morenci on the air about Benny Snell. Uh, Gabe loves Benny. I love Benny. There's there's really nothing to dislike about him from a personality standpoint. He's the kind of kid you want in a locker room. Uh, key factor, along with Josh Allen on defense, in elevating that Kentucky uh, program to levels that they haven't seen in a generation. Uh, he's, he's passionate. He's a motivator. Uh, from that standpoint, uh, you know, he's someone who will be very, I, I think he'll interview very well. The 466 was slower than I expected. And he's not an explosive back. He's more of a between the tackles grinder. He's someone that, you know, think about it from a fantasy perspective. He's the kind of kid that's going to have a stat line of 25 carries, 87 yards, and a touchdown. He's good. Yeah, he's never going to be explosive. And so I I think he is certainly in the early stage of his career, a backup, a pivotal part uh, of an organization, special teams. But I don't think he's an RB number one. 
a lot is made over uh, the week uh, about measurements. Now, obviously, the 40 times, <clears throat> excuse me, are a form of measurements, the the high, the broad jumps, the cone times, uh, the hand size, the height. Uh, we get a lot of buildup uh, in the NFL, <clears throat> pardon me, around the, <clears throat> all right, around those measurables. Now, as you go through and you're trying to determine where players should go in the draft and when you're looking back at their college stats, uh, you look at someone like a Kyler Murray who's going to be a source of, you know, lots of discussion here. Are there hard and fast numbers for you? Are there numbers that fans can hold on to and say, hey, A minus B equals C and C isn't going to cut in the NFL? Or is this really so much more of a fluid process where fans need to understand that teams don't have those strict numbers? It's more us analysts who tend to put some uh, armchair quarterbacking on how exactly things have happened in the past and thus they will happen again in the future. Yeah, it, it, it's an important question, Dan. I, I, I think that conventional wisdom for a lot of positions has really changed over the years. If you go back uh, to, to long before this was a television event, you know, we had these stipulations of what a quarterback had to look at. Uh, had to look like, and that has changed. You know, the the six three quarterback, six three two twenty five, no longer exists. So you could thank the Russell Wilsons, the Baker Mayfields, uh, the Drew Breeses to change that dynamic. Uh, I'm not really fixated on size at any position outside of possibly offensive line. I'll throw out a name like Jonah Williams from from Alabama. Uh, one of the cleanest prospects, one of the best prospects on tape as a run blocker and as a pass protector. But you want to get into the minutia of measurements. How about the arm length of an offensive lineman? So Jonah Williams, you want that offensive tackle out on the edge to have as long arms as possible so he can sort of hold off that edge rusher before he can get around the edge. Jonah Williams has somewhat shorter arms, so now he's being slotted potentially, depending on the team that you talk to, to be an interior lineman. He's either a guard or a center where he will be very successful, but Jonah Williams wants to be a tackle. So I, I think a lot of that conventional wisdom when it comes to size, even wide receivers, you know, 5'9", five, 5'10", five, I mean, that's, that's fine these days. That's not even a slot receiver necessarily. So uh, it's important, but I think it's uh, changing as we move forward. Yeah, I I remember listening to Bill Polian talk one time about those types of measurements where there's a baseline that you have to hit. And if the arms aren't long enough or hand size is too small, they just get worried about you playing at a certain position and they wouldn't he wouldn't draft you if you were to your point somebody that was uh, playing tackle in college but whose arm length or hand size was too small, they knew that you wouldn't be able to handle larger defensive ends, so they either have to kick you inside or not draft you at all. So that that is something to consider. Um, you know, on the – going back to the running backs, just one guy that really popped out to me in watching last night, watching kind of all the film, was Travion Williams – because he's got some size. He runs a 4-5-1, which is quick at his size. And in drills, it looked like everybody was impressed with him. On the broadcast, felt like he is the type of guy that could come in and contribute to an NFL backfield right away. I'm just curious what you thought about his production, his skill set while he was at A&M. Yeah, productive throughout his career. Uh, came from a difficult 
background. Not that I certainly don't root for that, but uh, when you look at the character of kids, you know, I, I, I think the kid who is not privileged, the kid who had to fight and grind for everything uh, at a young age, high school, and then at Texas A&M, I think there's something to be said for that. He's kind of a pinball-type runner. He's not going to plow over defenders, Mike, but he will bounce off of them. I think he's someone who can also help in special teams. Quality running back outside of the backfield, uh, has good hands. Uh, he's going to run hard every time. I'd like to see him be in better shape. I kind of feel like there's always, whether it was last year at A&M or even at the Combine, there's almost like a little bit of a muffin top that he can work on a little bit. I, yeah. I think Travion over the next couple of months, if he can get better conditioned, will help his cause. Uh, I see him as a second, possibly third round running back and, and productive at the NFL level. It's I don't know that I've ever heard muffin top when referring uh, to someone at the combine but i appreciate it i get it i visually now know what's going on so um i'm right there with you rich i have one more sort of procedural question for you and then uh a full uh, steam ahead on player analysis just from my personal education here how do individual players make decisions on when they're going to participate in specific drills or wait for their pro day, like you were talking about before. Almost every college has some colleges combined. Is there a rhyme or reason, or is it each individual player with their agent? Like, How do they come to the decisions of what to participate in and what not to participate in? In, at the in, ter- yeah, in terms of the combine, like say, in other words, you're asking about like a Kyler Murray, for instance, in terms of Absolutely. not yep. working out. Yeah, I, uh, agent plays an enormous role in that. Uh, family sometimes will. In the case of Kyler Murray, uh, his dad has been involved in that, in that process for sure. But it's more of an agent decision. Uh, over the years, you've seen quarterbacks now deciding that they want to throw at their pro day instead of the combine. They want as hermetically sealed a situation as possible. They want their receivers. Uh, they want to pick the location pick the date, possibly around uh, weather. Um, yeah, I, I listen, I to me, I don't think you can get a better scenario than to be at Lucas Oil Stadium, to be in Indianapolis, to be in front of all those scouts. Uh, but some guys want to actually tailor that situation as much as possible. There's a lot of money involved, so I understand it. But as a fan, I certainly would like to see uh, Kyler Murray uh, throw this weekend. One other thing in terms of pro days, which is has always fascinated me, uh, pro days and agents is – uh, some small school kids uh, who want to get on NFL teams, oftentimes their pro days will not be uh, uh, well attended because maybe they're the only kid from Delaware or Towson that, that has NFL caliber skills. So those players oftentimes will try to lobby to work out at the pro days at other schools, at bigger schools yeah. within either their home state or the state where they played college football. So there's a lot in motion when it comes to pro days. Yeah, my, I mean, my alma mater, Rich, BC, the, typically you'll see like the UMass guys exactly. or the or Maine guys. Right. They'll, you got they'll, it. Which is fine. I, they'll get a little bit more um, guys to show up. Like for yep. for New Hampshire to host a pro day, nobody's going to go to see maybe the one player every couple of years that could break out. But they'll go or to Or maybe BC. you'll get a local they, scout. Yeah, yeah, maybe you'll get a Patriot right. scout who's looking to sign a camp body. So, no, you bring up a yeah. great point. You go to BC, you're getting all 32 NFL teams. 
Right. It just get, it makes it more of a regional pro day than anything else. So the, the one guy, like Kyler Murray's measurements were obviously a big deal. He comes in right around the same size. I mean, give or take as Russell Wilson. He's a couple of pounds more than him. He's in ha- three quarters of an inch or so shorter than him, uh, smaller hands. But I think the fact that he was at least 5'10", people yeah. exhaled a little bit on it. The one guy <clears throat> who's having some issues now is Marquise Brown, the wide receiver from Oklahoma. Uh, issue number one is that he can't compete at Pro Day or at the Combine due to foot surgery. Yep. Issue number two is 5'9 and 3 eighths and 166 is small. You can put it, you can package it any way you want. That is a small wide receiver. It comes in around the same size as uh, Deshaun Jackson as far as weight is concerned. But realistically, this is going to be a hard guy to draft. I can't see anybody taking him in the first round, even though he was crazy productive and he's got wheels. As you can see on, on tape, he's a fast player. Uh, I, I love the comparison. That's exactly where I was going to go was Deshaun Jackson. You look at the body type, the ability to get behind secondaries, the explosiveness, uh, the bravado even. I mean, he's very Deshaun Jackson-like. He's got to put pounds on. You bring up an interesting point. I mean, oftentimes when size is a factor in evaluating a prospect, it's size beyond just height. Height is not going to be an issue for Marquise Brown. That thickness is going to be a problem. And that might be a case for Kyler Murray because even at 207, I I don't know if he's still going to be 207 at his pro day. I don't know if that's his fighting weight once he gets to the NFL. So that extra muscle, that thickness beyond just height is a factor. And quickly, before we go to the break, Kyler Murray's hand was the biggest factor for me because there was concerns that he had that his measurement was going to be below nine inches. His ability to grip it and rip it was going to be a potential problem. The fact that he was at nine and a half, that to me was even more important than his height. I'll admit I need a new hand measurement. I, I think I've grown. <laughs> I, I think I, I've, I've made some workouts that uh, I'm going to need to get remeasured there. Well, all jokes aside, we have Rich Sermon Yellow with us talking combine, talking NFL prospects, looking back at college football and how that may play forward into the NFL. Lots to talk about still here on Fantasy Sports Day, the Saturday edition. It's Dan Trapper, Mike Blewett with you for the next hour and 40 minutes leading up to 11 o'clock. Thanks so much for joining us. Back with more after this right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your Daily Roto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Dan Strafford, Mike Blewett, Rich Sermon Yellow here. 
on the Fantasy Sports Today, Fantasy Sports Radio Network with you every Saturday, bringing you up to speed on the world of sports. Don't forget, the 2019 NFL Scouting Combine is in full swing, and for serious players, fantasy football has become a year-round pastime. Roto Experts has you covered with the NFL 365 Fantasy Football Package, including the best math-based seasonal projections and rankings available anywhere on the internet. Davis Maddock and the Roto Experts are providing dynasty, season-long betting, best ball, and NFL draft content every day of the year to give you an edge regardless of what type of fantasy football you play. Save 10% at rotoexperts.com with promo code FNTSY. That's 10% off with the promo code FNTSY. It's the NFL 365 Fantasy Football Package only at rotoexperts.com. And Rich, honestly, that that read is a a launching off point to to this segment for me of how much has your world changed? Uh, Obviously, you cover college football with college football today here on the network. Uh, You uh, are on every Saturday previewing and then covering the games as they happen. But as the NFL has become a 365-day-a-year process and the combine has blown up, have you seen your, your workload and the way you go about coverage change completely over the years? To be honest with you, Dan, uh, by the way, I love that we were bumped in on Earth, uh, Wind, and Fire there. I guess that's (laughs) the three of us. Love it. Yeah. Can I be Earth (laughs) out of the three of those? I'll be Wind. It's fine. All right. All right. Well, clearly Um, I'm fire with all my Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Blue, it takes fire. I love it. Um, Blue, it should be Wind. That would make more sense, but I don't know. Um, Yeah. uh, Over the years, to be honest, I, I mean, I've been covering college football for 20 years. The one thing that has changed is the draft coverage more than anything else. That tended in the past to be more of a you know, kind of just an April sort of activity, maybe early May for recaps. But uh, now, man, I'll tell you, it's you hit the ground running in January with uh, early entry decisions, mid-January uh, deadline for that. All-Star games, whether it's uh, Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine, variety of other All-Star games. Uh, and then now heading into the Combine and Pro Days, that portion of it has changed. I feel lucky that during my career, it really always has been 365 days because I think the passion for college football, whether it's recruiting season, spring football, previews really begin in, in May, June, and July. Uh, it's something we've been lucky enough to cover uh, for the better part of 12 months each year. Yeah, I mean... And also, you know, there's always there's always an interesting thing, too, for college football fans in that when their players are getting drafted, it's a feather in the cap scenario. It also gives some insight as to maybe how well the coach is recruiting, uh, how well they're developing players. You know, I I, I do this really just because it's a perspective that I have as being a, a longtime fan of a team with B.C. I understand the the limitations of. Uh, uh, of that program and and how they well they've done or not done particularly since Matt Ryan left school a while back but they are never going to win quote unquote a recruiting cycle they're lucky to finish in the top 10 in the ACC a lot of years they very rarely if ever finish in the top half when all the recruiting rankings come out of their own conference however it is more important to me seeing some of the players that develop to go through and get into the pros. So you have Justin Simmons. You have John Johnson that have made it there. Harold Landry. We have now Chris Lindstrom is going to be a top offensive lineman drafted. Lucas Dennis will be a top safety. Um, These are names that you'll hear throughout the draft process all, you know, coming from the same 
some are in the pros now and some will be coming from the same school. But to me, Rich, that that is an important way for me to track if the program is at least on track. Because when your players aren't getting drafted, you're not winning games. A fantastic point, uh, Mike. One that I think should be echoed because what happens today and what happens on April 25th directly <clears throat> impacts what happens during the recruiting cycle on college uh, no campuses. Uh, there's no question about it. When, when a coach, when Steve Adazio goes into a home, there are two pillars that he's going to bring up. Your son's going to get a great education and we're going to prepare him to have a shot for the NFL because that's what every 17 and 18 year old is looking for more so in a lot of cases, the NFL than the education. They want to have that launching point to Sundays. And if that school is providing it, you're absolutely right. You know, BC is, is getting the two and three star kids, but once they go through that pipeline, if they're now four star kids and third round draft choices and second round draft choices, it becomes so much easier to sell that high school recruit that, yeah, you can come to BC and maybe we're not winning ACC titles, but at the end of the day, look at all the defensive backs that we continue to, to send to the NFL. And shame on you, Mike. I thought you were going to use this as an opportunity to mention the name of Hamp Cheevers. Ah, oh, forgot. Well, he'll be another guy. It's one of our favorites, too. Hamp Cheevers. Yeah. A long story, yeah. but yeah. yeah. So good stuff. Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> Um I guess this is as good a time as any to mention I'm, I'm a Rutgers alum, and uh, oh, okay. the greatest know that. thing that Rutgers has gone. Yeah, I got to. I actually called games at Rutgers back in the early 2000s when Shiano first awesome. got there. Yeah, wow. Um, it was uh, a train wreck, but a train wreck that ended up turning around. And uh, now, obviously, Shano in New England. Off the rails the again. Rutgers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Uh, Ash seems like a nice guy, I suppose. Um, the uh, great thing going for them is the New England Patriots. <laughs> you know, the fact that yeah. they yeah. keep on bringing in Rutgers players uh, becomes yeah. that sort of churning of uh, they keep appearing in the Super Bowl. And that graphic goes up of most players represent or most college uh, college most represented in the Super Bowl. And, and Rutgers is up there each and every time. Is there, you know, Rich, is there a uh, idea to linebacker you, tight end you, DB you? We see this, you know, a lot of colleges try to dub themselves that mm-hmm. over the years. Do you see that as trends that you can actually put a stamp on and say that these specific schools are turning out specific kind of players? Yeah, I I, I think we could connect those dots. Um, sometimes it gets overstated. Uh, I, I I don't know if Penn State is still linebacker you, and uh, Miami certainly isn't quarterback you, and Manny Diaz has to make them quarterback you again if they're going to compete for ACC titles. But, you know, I, I certainly can throw out some schools that consistently do a great job with offensive linemen. Wisconsin. I, I think Wisconsin's always going to have great offensive linemen. I don't care where they're coming from, if they're coming from Minnesota, Omaha, Nebraska. Once they're done with that staff, whoever is in charge, they're going to be NFL caliber offensive linemen. Iowa and offensive linemen is another good example. Uh BC, we mentioned, continues to, to, to do a great job with defensive backs. And a lot of times that's a credit not just to the top guy on the coaching staff, but oftentimes they will have unheralded assistant coaches. You know, okay. I'll, I'll throw out an obscure one. Uh, over the years, Middle Tennessee is consistently sending defensive backs to the NFL. And you say, wow, you know, Rick Stockstill, I guess he's got an eye for defensive backs. No, Rick Stockstill has an assistant coach in Steve Ellis 
Davis, who does a tremendous job of taking kids who are small and undeveloped down in the South and turning them into NFL caliber uh, players like Kevin Bayard, for, uh, for example. So a lot of times it's assistant coaches, but I think this is a great discussion because this is a chief selling point for head coaches, for assistant coaches, for recruiting coordinators when it comes time to attracting that next wave of young talent. Yeah, I, you know, I've always thought that the one thing that college football fans get a little up in arms about is talking about the style of play that school X needs to play. I think that's a fallacy. Now, I would never suggest that BC, for example, starts to play a type of style that requires the top athletes in the nation, Mm -hmm. pure speed type of offense, because, frankly, it's going to be harder, difficult, almost to the point of impossibility, of obtaining those types of athletes to get there and run an effective offense. But I never think that they have to run one specific type of offense or one specific type of defense for eternity. I remember back when Michigan hired Rich Rodriguez. Nobody, regardless of what you think of Rich Rodriguez, Nobody at Michigan ever gave him a chance. They didn't want him there. They didn't want him running that type of offense, and it blew up instantly. I thought, frankly, Michigan was the type of place where you can kind of recruit anybody, and if you embrace it, you can play a different style of offense. That's the one thing I would say. But all through all of that is your greater point about if you're having success with a certain position, it's going to attract players there. Yeah. When Luke Keekley and Mark Herzlick are at BC together and they get to the NFL and then Mark Milano, uh, Matt Milano gets to the NFL, yep. BC's going to have some momentum for recruiting linebackers in the current recruiting cycles. Yeah, You're just going no to question. be able to say, hey, Keekley's the best linebacker in the league and Matt Milano went from a fifth-round draft pick to starting a little linebacker mm. in Buffalo and on and on and on and on. So uh, there's always, I think, going to be a thread. You mentioned Iowa. They're having a little success now with tight ends as well. So yeah. there's a little bit of momentum building for Iowa and the tight end position. But um, it, these aren't fallacies. I think there's a common thread through all of it. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I appreciate your greater point. Yeah, no, they, they become ambassadors. Go to, um, go to any school's main website uh, in the fall uh, prior to an NFL weekend, and just about every major school will have on it an article listing which of their alums are playing this weekend. Yeah. Uh, who are they playing for? Who's the opponent? What time? Where can you see uh, this former Penn State alum, for instance? Um, yeah. Yeah, so lines in the pros article. Uh, exactly. And and so that is hugely important. And so I, I'm glad you brought it up, Mike, because there's a direct connection between what happens now and, and in, in late April and what will happen next February and December on signing day. Clemson wide receivers, Clemson defensive linemen. Those are both things right now. And We're Alabama, just about anything but quarterback before Tua, <laughs> I guess, right? Very true. And now the the running backs, now they're going to have two running backs get drafted, and the success rate of their running backs in the league has been yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. Outside of Ingram and the jury's, the jury's kind of out on Derrick Henry, Dan. I don't even know. Like, for me, I, I just don't even know how to evaluate Derrick Henry at this point. He's one of the hardest guys in the yeah. league to evaluate because when they give him a chance, he does well, but they don't seem to give him a chance, which may speak to other things. 
Right. And you have to wonder about whether or not uh, something's happening during practice or something's happening off the field that is keeping him from being the feature back there. But he does seem to have the talent uh, to be a lead back in the NFL. We'll wait to see uh, how that all turns out. Does that happen on the negative side, Rich? Does it happen where, you know, players uh, maybe don't pan out running backs from Alabama or specific other schools where that becomes a negative part of the college football recruiting process? I, I think that's a harder one to connect. I, I, I think I might say from a negative standpoint, if a, if a university has had a difficult time producing uh, NFL players, uh, just off the top of my head, I'll, uh, I'll throw out Minnesota. Uh, for P.J. Fleck, it's got to be difficult to recruit quarterbacks because the last time Minnesota produced an NFL draft choice at quarterback, it was 1972. So if you're a young quarterback and you're thinking, yeah, I want to do this beyond the age of 22 – but that doesn't happen with Minnesota quarterbacks. From that standpoint, I can see the negative. Uh, the Alabama example, I, I, I mean, it probably is more social media buzzy than anything else. But I, I think if you're a Damian Harris coming out of the state of Kentucky or Josh Jacobs, uh, Josh Jacobs fascinates me, too. I mean, this, this kid was not the starter. And now it looks like yeah. he could possibly be the first running back drafted, which is which is the most Alabama thing that there possibly could be, that their totally. backup running back could be the first running back, could be a top 10 pick is just stunning to me. It's insane. Yeah. I mean, Matt Castle never started a game at USC, right? Yeah, he's, right. Still in the, he's still in the league. Yep. So these these things can kind of happen. You just get caught in the wash, I suppose. Um, you know, just to touch on one player, because as there are these lists of who's going to go in the first round and honestly I have my thoughts about running backs in general I, I do think teams are for some reason starting to overvalue them in the draft again but as you start to really dive in on who is going to be that top guy for you Daryl Henderson runs well yesterday out of Memphis he has been a guy that has been part of the buzz of some of the top players in the draft top running backs in the draft but for you NFL system do you prefer somebody like Jacobs? Is it Henderson? Is it somebody else? Yeah, let me throw out two quick names. Uh, we mentioned Josh Jacobs. The, his versatility, and, and this is more than just a running back. This is a receiver out of the backfield. Uh, this is. I talked to Alabama people last fall. They said, we love Damian Harris. Going to be an NFL running back. We'll be a starter in the NFL. He is not the back that Josh Jacobs is. That they believe there was a there was a defi- there was a defining line between those two Alabama running backs because Jacobs does everything well. So I, uh, Jacobs is my top back. My number two is David Montgomery out of Iowa State. Did not run well yesterday. Uh, it kind of he's kind of like a rich man's Benny Snell. Uh, makes people miss great in those first 25 yards he's not a sprinter doesn't have sprinter speed but if you watch the tape of David Montgomery rarely got help on offense offensive line was weak quarterbacks tended to be young or to be cast offs like Kyle Kemp from other programs so uh, David Montgomery Josh Jacobs I think if there are first round running backs those those would be my two favorite choices Devin Singletary was in the discussion but I really think he hurt him with that four uh, hurt himself with that four six six yesterday as we look at uh, the the running backs going through the the speed, is there a drill that you point to most of all for running backs? Is it the four forty uh, with uh, the way? Sorry, the the forty yard dash uh, with the way speed is killing in the NFL. Is it the cone drill? Like, what should we be, be paying most attention to as these skill position players are going through these 
of these drills? Yeah, you know, you, you, you don't want to have that Elijah Holyfield 479. So I'm not saying that 40 doesn't right. matter. But I, I think as long as you're in that 4546, I don't overstate the value of a 40 time. To me, three cone trumps everything. I, I, I think you're. Your small space quickness for a lot of positions, but particularly running back. Again, I'll go back to the tape of Montgomery. When you watch him, when he's in the hole and it looks like a linebacker or a safety is ready to tee him up, that's the kind of kid that just plants, boom, he's he's in a different direction, has 14 yards. That, to me, is the running back that I want. So uh, three-cone drill more than anything else. If you excel in that area, you got a shot in the NFL. By the way, the top five guys in that three-cone drill were Miles Sanders, to Rich's point earlier, the guy that made himself some money, Alex Barnes from Kansas State, Dexter Williams, he of the green uh, <laughs> Afro mullet. I don't know what that was. Uh, James Williams from Washington State and Raquel Armstead from uh, Temple. I'd like to talk about James Williams on the other side uh, and Dexter Williams. Yeah, James Williams on the other side because he was somebody that interested me yesterday. Alex Barnes is a name that I've seen talked about a lot this morning as well. Would love to get Rich's take uh, therein from Kent State. Dan Stratford, Mike Blewett, Rich Sermoniello coming back on the other side talking the Combine and NFL Draft right here on Fantasy Sports Today, the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Here on Fantasy Sports Today, Dan Trevor, Mike Blue, Rich Sermon Yellow joining us uh, this weekend as we talk about the NFL Combine. I want to hand it back to you, Mike. I know there are a couple of players that you wanted to touch base with Rich on here uh, to close out the 9 o'clock hour. Who do you have on tap? So, uh, first thing I would say is every time these guys drop a pass, I cringe completely (laughs) there's like there's a a drill where they're basically having the back come out of the backfield catch would be like a uh, a release kind of safety valve route and these quarterbacks are hitting them in the hands almost every time and when these guys drop the passes I just cringe and I'm just watching a few guys do it now but somebody that popped out to me while I was watching it yesterday was James Williams from Washington State. Now, he appears to me on the surface to be a guy who would be a good complementary back. However, he's pretty quick. He looks to have good hands, and I like him as a guy that could be a very valuable NFL player, even if he's not your workhorse back. That's a that's a great take, Mike. Uh, you guys know the NFL infinitely better than I do, so you could probably come up with a comp. But uh, he is a he is a prototypical third down back, and, and there's a place for that kind of a back. Uh, at the NFL level last three years, a part of it had to do with the fact that he was at Washington State and Mike Leach and the uh, philosophy of that offense. But last three years, how about this for a running back over 200 receptions? 
So he has the experience as a receiver out of the backfield. Not that big, 5'11", maybe around 200 pounds, but again, quick in space, great hands. So if you're looking for a third down back, give me a third down back in the NFL who catches a lot of passes. That That's who James Williams is. 83 passes alone last season. Yeah, I mean, he, he essentially was an H-back uh, or an additional receiver on the field for the Cougars. I wanted to get your take here on Alex Barnes. You brought him up uh, during the cone drill discussion. Had a big day. The bench press, the cone. Uh, yeah. I believe it's Kansas State, right? Uh, so this is a guy that maybe under the radar a bit, but had a very uh, competent season last year in college. Seems to be getting some buzz Friday into Saturday. Do you think that's something he sustains moving forward, or is this a guy that may be a, a combine darling that ends up falling back again when all is said and done come draft time? No, I, I listen. I think Alex Barnes is legit. I mean, he he was productive throughout his uh, three seasons in Manhattan. Uh, workhorse type of a back, over thirteen hundred yards last year. Uh, again, not a lot of flash. I think he ran close to four six. But what really impressed me, and I'm sure impressed a lot of NFL scouts, is the explosiveness that he showed. Look at these two numbers that you don't particularly tend to put together if you're putting the bar up 34 times at any position I mean that's more than a high percentage of offensive linemen 34 reps putting the 225 pound uh, bar up also had a vertical leap of 38 and a half uh, half inches so this kid has a very interesting skill set extremely thick a thumper between the tackles but he has that explosiveness as well so 6'1 225 can jump out of the building and is that strong I like that kind of a back. I mean, I I start. I was thinking about Alex as a fourth, fifth round, third day type back. I I think when you look at draft boards next week, he's going to move into that next tier of running backs. Yeah, and if you see him during these drills, he does not. He carries himself well. It, what yeah. I'm saying is that you're saying he's thick, but you wouldn't necessarily know that he's that heavy because he carries it really well. So he almost looks like a player that's a little slimmer than that, which speaks to how athletic and how explosive he could be. I I could see him really kind of shocking people as to what he can do at the next level. And if he got a chance, he could – be an asset for a team just to give you a sense you know I I look at I'm looking at tons of different articles and research and and people writing up what they feel the team needs are Uh, so offensive linemen and running backs went yesterday and the article that I was reading I believe it was from in fact let me take a look where it was it was NFL.com they have as team needs 18 different teams need offensive line shocker I I would probably say it's closer to 32 to be honest but 18 (laughs) is a lot um, and on on running back needs, uh, they wrote it up. Only six teams uh, need running backs. But that being said, I think Barnes is a good asset. T- turn it to one more guy, Rich, only because he was so massively productive in college. Mm, but I know where you're going the, with this. I know yeah, exactly I where you're you going. You know who I'm going to say. But he he's getting lost in the wash now for whatever reason during the draft process. Maybe it's because he's not explosive enough, but I'll have you explain why Miles Gaskin isn't a name at the top of everybody's list despite running for over 5,300 yards at Washington. 
Yeah, I my concern about Miles Gaskin, you're spot on, Mike. I mean, this was someone who was uber productive, uh, particularly as Jake Browning slipped over his final three years as the Husky starting quarterback. They leaned even more, and they lost John Ross. Browning going south and losing Ross as a weapon on the outside uh, and then losing Dante Pettis last year, it really put a lot of extra pressure on Gaskin. If I'm an NFL GM... Listen, I like this kid. He's productive. He can get it done. He could pick up yards. Uh, has a little more speed than we saw yesterday. But my concern is, man, he he carried the ball a lot over the last four years. And if you're worried about the lifespan of a running back, that's another thing about Josh Jacobs. You know, the fact that Jacobs was a backup, now you're thinking like, man, there's a lot of tread on that tire for Jacobs. Usually we're expecting a running back, even if he's only in college for three years, you know, we figure he's probably got north of 600 carries on his legs. Not the case with Jacobs. I'd have to look up Gaskin's numbers. Over a Ga- thousand touches in his. Oh four my years God! Yeah, there you go. I was going to say 800. You're saying over a thousand. I mean, that that would be my chief concern. Have we already seen the best of Miles Gaskin? I like the back, but I wonder if he still has fresh legs two or three years from now. It is a very in, uh, interesting point to make about the just the wear and tear in college and how we're seeing some backups become NFL stars or maybe not stars, but really effective players in the NFL uh, when they don't get hit as much in, in the college game, when they don't have to take as much of a beating. And we've seen it in the NBA. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever see it in the NFL simply because of the maturation of uh, the body, uh, because these players having to get stronger and faster and these uh, programs really doing a good job of that. But do you see any world, Rich, in the future where more players sit out the bowl games, more players sit out for a period of time to get themselves ready for specifically the combine, specifically for pro day, so they can really make that jump up boards? Or do you see this as the NFL is just a different animal from the NBA? Uh, It's one of my favorite questions, Dan, because I think this is so topical. Uh, It's trendy, and I don't think it's going to go away. Uh, Yeah, I... I I'm, uh, listen, I'm in the camp that I think it's going to get worse before it gets better, and, and I really I'm don't have a problem with it. I, I, I'd love to hear your guys' take on it, but to me, you know, this is a business decision, and I know the words like selfish or are they passionate about the game. I don't really buy it. I, I think when you get to that point in your career that you've worked at uh, for more than half of your life, that uh, literally millions of dollars are at stake. I'm just not a huge fan of the bowl season as it's constructed right now because so many of these bowl games are completely meaningless. Uh, They're not well attended. Uh, I have interviewed for years college football players who will tell me, yeah, it's nice to go to Shreveport. It's fun to have one more game, but I don't really give a crap about this game at this point. I'm kind of tired. I'm mentally and physically tired. I don't feel like playing in this game. So I think we're going to see that number uh, increase over time. And, and And you brought up a very interesting and important point, which is this is not just about the injury factor. You know, keep in mind that this is the generation for the past, I'd say, five to seven years, this is the generation of young athletes that are Head Start athletes. You know, these are the guys right. that are graduating from high school early so they can participate in spring football as true freshmen, the Trevor Lawrences. There's every 
uh, spring, you see the true freshmen that are there before they normally would be in the summer and fall. So they want a head start on their combine preparation. They know that if they can take a fraction of time off their 40, that means cash. So I think we're going to see those numbers increasing. And quite frankly, I just don't have a problem with it. I don't. Mike, either. I want to get now your take. Yeah. I want to yeah. get, if I can just give one analogy here and to, to yeah. Rich's point, listen, if in college I was calling games, right? I was calling uh, Rutgers games. And if someone came to me and said, hey, Dan, uh, when you're done with college, you're going to call games, but we need you to just practice on the side. We don't want you to blow out your voice. I would have been so far out of the radio booth protecting the one asset I have in my life that I don't get anyone who begrudges a college athlete preparing for their career. I think it's absurd when fans of college teams get on these players for not playing in a bowl game or in a senior bowl. That's my take. Mike, I'd love to hear what you have to say next. Yeah, I I mean, I could go off for this for the rest of the segment, but I'll be respectful of my co-hosts on this. So I do not have an issue with it at all. There's guys that have had to take bullets for the rest of college football for doing this kind of stuff because they were concerned. Jadavian Clowney was Mm -hmm. getting raked over the coals by a lot of people saying that he was dogging it, not the least of whom is a really famous sports radio host in the New York City area that was killing him on air for months about him being a dog for not doing it. And I think he's proven to fight through injuries and become a really productive and soon to be very rich NFL player. Uh, So Jadavian Clowney is one example. Now, uh, there was a player who ran yesterday, and it's escaping me which running back it was, that skipped his bowl game but played in the senior bowl. That's a little bit of a tougher look, and I think he's going to have to justify that to some people. I, I think in interviews, I actually don't, still don't have a problem with it, uh, although his teammates might have given him the side eye. Now, here's the reality. Take somebody like Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley is a gamer all day long. He's the guy you want on your team, leading your team. He was the most productive college football player Maybe that I've ever seen. He nearly broke the NCAA tackles record in three seasons uh, when most of the guys took four in order to set it. Now, Luke Keekley played on a 4-8 and eight BC team back in 2011. They stunk, and he made every tackle, but he didn't have to go to a bowl game. So he spent the entirety of his what would be his semester in college and the second that the season ended preparing for the combine and he tore the roof off of it he had a jump on guys that were forced to play in these nondescript bowl games or acc or sec championship games and tacking on three more games of wear and tear and practices without having to as rich said shave a tenth of a second off of the 40 times so keekley didn't have to skip anything These guys are put in this position being like, well, you have to play in the uh, the Shreveport Independence Bowl. It's insane that these games are not well attended. They're just TV shows at this point, selling ads and hooking up sponsors. Yeah, it's fun to spend time with your teammates, but you have to be kidding me. I have friends that are BC fans that are killing Harold Landry for not playing down the stretch. Forget these games. That team stunk. And Nick Bosa taking off the rest of the Ohio State season because he had surgery, I'm fine with it. 
it's a massive commitment and there's a lot of money on the line and I don't understand anybody that has a problem with it. It's more like Dan in the first hour of the show we were talking about people siding with ownership. It's more of yep. the same. I understand commitment. Tribalism. But you have to be kidding me. There's so much on the line. All you have to do is look at Jake Butt and I do think Rich that that was the breaking point. Yep. I think that Jake Butt's ACL injury was a breaking point and Chris McCaffrey saw that and he's like that's not going to happen to me. Yep. I'm nope. not doing it. And Chris McCaffrey was high profile, and his dad played in the league, and his brother was a big-time player too. And it took Chris McCaffrey, I think. I'm not saying that he's Rosa Parks or anything, but it took Chris <laughs> McCaffrey to, to do that for people to yeah. be like, you know what, I'm not doing it either. Uh, it, it's a great point. I think about Jalen Smith, too, was one of the high-profile yeah. you know, faces of postseason injuries when he went down against, uh, against Ohio State. I think it was the Fiesta Bowl. Um, yeah, Dan, listen, Dan's point I, it really speaks to what I believe, which is, listen, I understand it. We, we all are fans, have been fans, always will be fans. So there's an emotion factor, especially when it comes to your school. So it feels like you know, they're, they're you know, uh, uh, flipping the bird to the university or thumping their nose but listen these kids have given an awful lot throughout their careers three four sometimes five years and once you reach that point uh, listen I I would I would sort of have a problem if we start to see kids sitting out regular season games I don't know why but I, I I think there's a meaning to it there are rivalries there's pursuit of all kinds of things, whether it's a, a conference championship or, you know, a 500 season or, or a bowl game for those kids that do want to go to that game. But to Dan's point, you know, listen, we, we all have careers. We all have dreams, aspirations. Uh, we all have things that we have worked for and will continue to work for. And to say, you've worked for it, son. You've worked hard. But I'm telling you that you have to go play in that game and risk injury. Uh, I think right. that's I think that's downright un-American to suggest that. Uh, I think there's so many yeah, angles. Go ahead, Dan. So many angles yeah. to it. Well, I just th- I think there's so many angles to it, and I think injuries are a large part of it. I think the regular season makes sense. Like, listen, in the end, they're getting a scholarship to go to the school and play games there, right? So the regular season, you just have to not go to college, right? And I don't think that's a track we're going to see for the NFL. That's just not a way that you're going to get to the NFL per se. Maybe the AAF takes off. Mm-hmm. Maybe the XFL becomes a feeder system, and you have uh, guys who can't get into college for, for grades. Not really that that happens, but uh, can't get in, can't go down that road. That happens. But I, I just am of the mind. Uh, just keep keep it to yourself. You know, root for the player. Root for the player to make, you know, make his way and, and represent your school, right? Because then they make the Super Bowl. You know what? Your school's name is going to be plastered all over the place because they were one of the best players. Mike, what do you have to say there? Rich, real quick, do you have a problem with what Ed Oliver did this season? The only thing I had an issue with, uh, I know we're up against it, the only thing I had an issue with Oliver was uh, prior to a couple of games, looked physically, he was out there running pass patterns, looked physically like he could have played. That, I think, uh, the, the optics were bad for Ed Oliver. I have one more follow-up we'll take to, to the next segment with Rich Cermaniello. We're talking about the NFL Combine. We'll talk about what to look forward to over the next couple of days as well. Plenty still happening out there uh, at Lucas Oil Stadium. Dan Schrapper, Mike Blewett, and Rich Cermaniello here on Fantasy Sports Day. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, FNTSY. Back with more after this.